0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome to episode number six in this Storyline of Scripture series. Uh, we've been walking through all of Scripture and looking at this idea that Jesus is the focus and the climax of everything going on in Scripture. In other words, though there are countless stories, the whole focus of the Word of God is all about Jesus himself and his redemptive work upon the cross. And on the little chart that I have on the screen, you obviously see that we have been walking through this storyline in seven kind of increments. We had the kingdom introduced and rejected, the kingdom people and the promise, the kingdom rehearsed, the kingdom in waiting. Last time, we came to that climactic moment of talking about the king himself and his birth, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. And in this particular episode, I wanna talk about the king's mission. Do you realize that there is a mission on all of our lives? Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his disciples, and by outflow us, a specific mission. And let me just give you a few passages. I, I, I love this idea that even before God gave the commission itself, he talked about the provision for that commission. Look at what John 16 says. Jesus in the upper room is talking to his disciples and he says, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for I do not go away. The advocate or the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He says, it's actually a good thing that I ascend. It's actually good that I depart. Because if I depart, I will send forth my spirit. I will give forth the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God is going to empower you to live the life you are called to live. That he's going to empower you to proclaim the message that I've given you. In the last episode, we talked about the baptism of Jesus being his personal Pentecost, that yes, he is fully God. And yet as a man, he he demonstrated this idea of what a man filled with the presence of God, the spirit of God looks like. And what Jesus forran in his baptism is the same thing you see happening at Pentecost and the lives of the disciples. In other words, just as Jesus needed the spirit of God in his life, so too we need the spirit of God in our lives. In fact. It is impossible for us to live the Christian life without the Spirit of God within us. So, when you look at this idea that Jesus ascended into heaven so that he could pour forth his Spirit at Pentecost, so that we could be filled with his very nature, his his very Spirit, that is the reality of every single Christian. That this is not a bonus to the Christian life, this is at the very heart of Christianity itself. In other words, If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God within you. That that is so exciting. And so when you look at this commission that Jesus gave his disciples, the reason they could even do the mission itself, this commission that he's given us, is because of the fact that he has empowered us to do the mission through his very Spirit. Jesus said this at at the end of Mark. This is Mark 16, verse 15. He told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He said this in Matthew 28. This is verse 16 through 20, what we typically call the Great Commission. It says, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's an incredible mission. He says, I want you to go, and I want you to focus on making disciples. So you're going to have to go, which means you're going to have to teach, you're going to have to baptize. But the emphasis of the passage is make disciples. Jesus, do you know what your mission is? Your mission is to duplicate the reality of the life that you have. So you have been radically changed by me, says Jesus. Therefore, I want you to go and proclaim that to the world. And in so doing, I want you to make disciples. It's interesting when you look at the idea of discipleship, we've kind of, I think we've misunderstood it a lot in our modern generation. It really goes back to that idea of Apprenticeship. Uh, if I wanted to be a blacksmith back in the day, what would I do? Well, I, I wouldn't take a class, blacksmith one hundred and one. I, I wouldn't read a couple chapters online. Uh, I would actually go to the blacksmith in town and say, uh, "Oh dear blacksmith, I want to be a blacksmith." And uh, so, so what do I need to do? And the blacksmith says, "Great, grab your stuff and uh, move in." And I'd be like, no, "No, no, excuse me. I, I, I don't. I don't want to live with you. I, I just want to learn blacksmith. You know, all, all the technique stuff." And he's like, "Right." So go grab your stuff, let him move in. See, the, the idea of apprenticeship was not that you would just learn a few key tricks of a trade. The idea was is that you would take on the life of the one you're apprenticing. And that really is the heart of discipleship. In other words, when we say that we are disciples of Jesus, we, we're not meaning that we go to church on Sundays. Uh, we're not talking about a, a social club. We're not talking about you know checking something off of a list. We're talking about being like the master himself. So here is Jesus, the teacher, and if we are his disciples, that means we are apprenticing. All of our life has been bent under his authority. All of our life has been given unto him so that we can begin to look like him. What an incredible opportunity in the first place. But Jesus, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim the gospel to the world. Why? Because the world desperately needs salvation. That world desperately needs rescuing and I don't want you just to go preach a message and have them come to church. I want you to preach the message of the gospel so that they can start looking like me. So that I can fill them with my spirit. See, that is the heart of the gospel. We're not trying to big build bigger churches. We're trying to get people to look like Jesus. And again, you and I in our strength and our own wisdom and our own resource, that is impossible, which is why that provision of the Holy Spirit is so essential. Not, not only can I not live the Christian life, I can't proclaim the Christian life, or and I can't change another person's life unless the Spirit of God does something. See, we desperately need that Holy Spirit in our lives, which is why I really love what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1. In verse 4, four and 5, it says, "'Gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father.'" Uh, that language, promise to the Father, is harkens back to the idea of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said, "You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And then He says in verse eight, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth." Jesus says, "You need this provision." So wait in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have to wait around because the Spirit has already been given to the believers. It's an amazing thought that everything, as we mentioned in the last episode, everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus. That that he has supplied, not just given us forgiveness and redemption and salvation and propitiation, that yes, he's done that amazing salvific work, but then he's also empowered us by giving us that promise of the Father. He's given us his very spirit to come in and enable us to live the lives that we are called to live. So think about this. The king, right before he ascended into heaven, gave his people a very specific mission. I want you to take this good news and I want you to proclaim it to all the world. Do you realize that we are still in the midst of that part of biblical history. We are still in this time frame of the king's mission. See, the king is going to return, and we'll talk about that in the next episode, but in the before that time comes, we're in this season of the king's mission. You and I have this incredible privilege to share the gospel, the great news of Jesus Christ with all the world, Well, which really then brings us to this idea of the message. What is that message that we are proclaiming? Well, the Bible is very specific. The message of that gospel, the whole focus of the message is Jesus himself. Right after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter two, uh, what you see in the rest of the book of Acts is that there are these 10 sermons or these sermon excerpts. Uh, five are given by Peter. One is by given, uh, given by Stephen right before his death. And we have these four excerpts by Paul. And, and what you begin to see is that between those 10 sermons, there's also 30, over 30 conversation summaries of what people talked about. In other words, you have all these conversations happening throughout the book of Acts. And what's interesting is that the message, the focus of all that communication was Jesus. Uh, yeah, there were different people, there were different ways of saying it, but it was the exact same message. For example, we had Paul with the Greek philosophers in Athens, and Paul talked about Jesus in light of reason and experience because that's how they would understood it in this whole greek philosophy he leveraged these different people to bring up Jesus or Paul with the jewish, jewish worshipers in the synagogue he would often go back into the old testament and reveal Jesus from the old testament Uh, In Acts, uh, this is the wrong reference on here, but in the, I think it's Acts chapter seven, uh, Philip, it says, opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, here's this Ethiopian eunuch and beginning with this scripture, which is Isaiah 53, he proclaimed the good news about Jesus to him. So you have this incredible scene where over and over and over again, throughout the book of Acts, they have a message. They have this proclamation. There's this mission that they're proclaiming. And what is the focus of that mission? It's the king himself. So you have the king who has given us a mission. And and what is the message of that mission? Oh, it's the king. Isn't that an incredible thought? That that you don't have to know the intricacies of theology to start proclaiming the gospel. You need to know Jesus. Because the heart of all theology, the heart of the gospel itself, is Jesus and the cross. And what you begin to see throughout the book of Acts is that if they were going to pray for something, what they often prayed for was, God, give us boldness to stand for you. God, give us boldness to proclaim the good news of you. God, give us boldness so that we can literally live out the reality of the Christian life before the onlooking world. Uh, Let me just give you a couple of verses. Acts chapter 14, verse 3. It says that Paul and Barnabas remained for a long time in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They're, they're, They're proclaiming Jesus and primarily, they're talking about the death and the resurrection of Jesus because this is the focus of our salvation and our hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and follow to Gentiles. Yeah, they may not understand it, but we preach Christ crucified. In 2 Corinthians 4, 5, he says this. He says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as lord. So Paul says, "Hey, do you know what our focus is? It's Jesus. Do you know what our the throb of our being is? It's Jesus. Do you know what the gospel is centered on? It's Christ and him crucified." See, you don't have to know all the intricacies of scripture to begin to proclaim the mission of your king. You need to know Jesus. And if you have experienced that transformative reality of the cross, then you are you have what you need then to proclaim that message Yes, it's helpful to know apologetics. Yes, it's helpful to know some theology. Yes, you need to be in the word of God. And hey, that's all true. But so oftentimes we say, well, I'm not that smart. I I guess I can't witness. Oh, you know what? I I don't know all the theology. I I guess I can't witness. You know what? I I don't know all the answers to their questions that they may ask. So I better just just leave it alone. I, I better not even, I better just not talk at all. But do you realize that the gospel from the book of Acts is all focused on Jesus? So all you need to do then is just go up to your friends and your neighbors and your family and say, whoa, let me just talk about Jesus with you. Let me just tell you what he's done in my life. Let me talk about his salvific work upon the cross that you have sin in your life and you are destined for hell. But wow, he has stepped into the middle of all that and he has provided an avenue out of that. See, it doesn't have to be as complicated as we often make it. Yes, you should learn apologetics. Yes, you should understand theology. Yes, you need to be in the word of God. But don't let the fact that you may not know those details stop you from proclaiming and fulfilling the mission of your king. Because what Jesus wants us to focus on, what he wants us to proclaim is himself. That is so amazing to me. Let me talk about one other aspect about this whole thing, and it's this idea of the mirror. So the king has given us a message, uh this mission, and the message of that whole mission is the king himself. But a part of the mission, a part of this this life that he has called us to live, is this idea of what I'm calling the mirror. And it really goes to this idea of, do we look like the king? Because if if you and I were actually going to live out the reality of the gospel, then we would begin to look like Jesus. Uh, Years ago, I came across this wonderful little pamphlet by Catherine Booth. Uh, William and Catherine Booth started the Salvation Army. And Catherine Booth wrote this little article called Aggressive Christianity. And what she basically said is, if you just read the book of Acts and you didn't look at history, where would you presume the church to be at this point in in history? Uh, Let me just give you a quick quote from that little pamphlet. Catherine Booth said this, I was thinking while I was reading these pages, what if we could erase from our minds all knowledge of the history of Christianity from the close of the period described in the book of Acts and then looking at the book of Acts, sit down and try to calculate what was likely to happen in the world. We would most likely expect very different results. A radically changed world as the outcome of it all. A system which started with such power under such promises and declarations on the part of its author and producing, as it did in its first century, such gigantic and momentous results. We would have thought, if we knew nothing of what has intervened from then until now, that the whole world would have fallen long ago to the influence of that system and would have been brought under the authority of its great originator and founder. I say from reading these acts and from observing the spirit which moved the early disciples, that we should have anticipated 10,000 times greater results. And in my opinion, this anticipation would have been perfectly rational and just. Do you hear what Catherine Booth is saying? She's saying, if we didn't know Christian history and all the problems that Christian history has had over the last 2,000 years, and all we had was the book of Acts, and you came and you read the book of Acts and you saw the power of God, you saw the the efficacy of the gospel, the fact that it can change lives. You see the movement of God and you, you see the whole world coming under the influence of the gospel. You see these men and women who stood with boldness to proclaim and give up their lives for the sake of the gospel. She says, wouldn't it just make sense that that thing would have just increased and kept increasing and kept increasing and it would have just consumed the world? Yeah, that would actually make sense to me. (laughs) I mean, if if we actually said, Lord, here's my life. Use my life however you want to. Take my life and spill it and spin it for the king and for the kingdom. Lord, make my mouth a mouthpiece of your truth for the gospel. Do you realize that what we see in the gospel or what we see in the in the, the book of Acts, it was not a one-off thing. Yes, it's it's descriptive. It's just describing what happened in the early church, and we don't want to build a lot of prescription uh, on, on the book of Acts. And, and yet, I think we're missing something in our modern church. I, I think like Catherine Booth, which she wrote over 100 years ago, that I, I feel like there should be something more to what the church is living and experiencing in. I'm not talking weird craziness. I'm talking about a demonstration of the power of God, the efficacy of the gospel, the fact that we as believers should be going out into our world, proclaiming the good news, and it should be radically changing and transforming lives. And yet most of us are just passive. Most of us are just saying, well, I'll give to the missions offering. Someone else can do all that work. See, we have forgotten the fact that we all have a mission upon us. That we have all been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to go into all the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we, like Paul, are to preach Jesus and him crucified to this onlooking world. Not just with our lips, but with our very lives. That everything going on in our lives should be proclaiming the grand reality of Jesus. That when the world looks upon your life, they should say, wow, you're a Christian. I need what you have. I am am desperate for this very thing that you have. I need your God. See, that was the power of the gospel in the book of Acts. And somehow we've gotten away from that. Could I encourage you to say, Lord, would you take my life and would you spend and spill me for the kingdom? Paul Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21 he says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gained. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He says, it is my eager expectation. It is my eager desire that my life will be fully given over to Jesus Christ. And whether I live or whether I die, I want Jesus to be magnified in my life. See, that is the call on each of us. Uh, maybe like many of us, you're sitting there going, uh, I'm I'm a little timid. Uh there, there is a lot of social pressure about not speaking about Jesus. You can speak and go crazy about hardly, almost anything else in this world. But the moment you start getting serious and radical about Jesus, the world puts a lot of pressure upon you. And yet, do you realize that was still true about the early church? With the whole Roman persecution and then the Jewish persecution and and all of the pressure that the early church had upon them, it, it wasn't easy to stand in their culture for Jesus Christ. In fact, I'd actually say it's easy, far easier in our, our day and age than it was for them. For them, if you're going to stand for Christ, it often meant your death. It often meant imprisonment. It often meant severe persecution and beating. And yet we, at least in the Western world, still have at least a measure of freedom. But regardless of whether there's freedom or whether it is against the law, you and I are called to live the king's mission and proclaim the gospel, even if it means our imprisonment, even if it means our death, even if it means torture and pain, why? Because he is worthy. And the king of all kings have, has given us a commission. Perhaps we, like the early church, need to be praying for boldness. Listen to just a few of these passages. Passages Acts 4, verse 13 says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, this is speaking of the Pharisees, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled and they had realized they had been with Jesus. See, what if the secret of this whole thing is we, like them, need to be with Jesus? Because when I get wrapped up in him and in the the richness of his life, I actually quit caring about what people around me think. It's that when I turn my gaze upon the world, I start to care more about their opinion than the opinion of my king. A few verses later in Acts 4, verse 29, it says that they were praying and it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Or in verse 31 of Acts 4, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they had assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. See, what we in this generation need is boldness. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12. He says, Therefore, since we have such hope, We use great boldness of speech. Do you realize that because we have salvation, because our eternal life is secure in him, because we have this great hope, well, that actually removes all the intimidation. We can boldly speak the gospel. Why? Because we have the hope of Jesus Christ. So let me go back and ask the question I mentioned earlier with this idea of the mirror. Do we look like the King, see, we're not supposed to just merely proclaim the message with our lips. We're to proclaim the message with our lives, that that every aspect of our life should look like Him. Well, when you look at the life of Jesus, something is very evident in Him. John three sixteen, you, you know it well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Or Romans five eight. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you hear what this is saying? That that even when I was shaking my fist in God's face in rebellion, even when I hated God, God out of his great mercy and love for me died for me. Do you know one of the ways that we as believers showcase the life and the message of God to our world? It's by living in genuine love. It's by showcasing mercy and kindness. It's not that we overlook sin. That's not true love. But true love is this aggressive, unconditional, pursuing kind of a love. In fact, Jesus said in John 13, verse 35 to his disciples, by this you will know that, by this they will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. See, love is to define and mark our lives as believers between each other but then we are to demonstrate and showcase his love to the world. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And Paul says these are fruits of the Spirit, which means when the Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of my life, here's the king who has given a mission to his people, he ascended into heaven so that he can pour forth that resource of the Holy Spirit, that enablement, his very life and spirit into my life. And Paul says the fruit of that, that that my life should be evidencing that life of the Spirit. Well, well, what is the evidence of that? Oh, it's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That those things should just be flowing out of my life Because those are the evidences, the fruit of being filled with the very life and the spirit of Jesus. Do you realize that your life, my life, is to look like the king? That that's part of the mission. It's not just a message to proclaim to the world. It is. And we need to proclaim that message with boldness. But yet our lives need to come in alignment with that message. That our lives need to look like the king that our lives should be marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness because Jesus is the fullness of all of those fruits. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 29. He says, Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Do you realize that you and I are called to be conformed to the image of Jesus? I've used this illustration before, but if you ever played with Play-Doh, you have those like plastic molds. And so you take some Play-Doh and you throw it into the mold and you shove it in there and anything that doesn't fit in that mold, you just, you cut away. That's this idea of conformed, That, that God is taking our lives and shoving it into a mold that looks like Jesus. And anything in your life that doesn't look like him has to go. See, you and I are to be conformed to the image of Christ. You and I are to look like Jesus that we are to be godly, holy, Christ-like in the world in which we live. We should not be looking like the world around us. We are to look like our king. So let me just quickly recap and give an encouragement. The mission that the king has given us has not changed. The mission that he gave 2,000 years ago to his disciples saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation— is still the same mission upon our lives. You and I are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and the cross to the world. And yet here's the incredible good news. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to proclaim it. Jesus promised forth that promise of the Father. And as he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That as a Christian, because you have the infilling of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment to live the Christian life, but also to proclaim that Christian life, the reality, the central heart of that, which is Jesus, and be witnesses of him to the world. And we have the reality of Christ in our lives through His spirit. And I love what Acts chapter one verse 8 says, Jesus looking at his disciples, say, "Hey, start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth." And I think that's important because they're in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is saying, "Start where you're at. You don't have to go to the African mission field tomorrow start right in your neighborhood and begin to proclaim that message of Jesus with your life and with your lips and begin to declare the wonders of the gospel. Spread out from there and go to the region and then go to your enemies, the Samaritans, and then go to all of the world. See, you and I can start right where we are at. You don't have to move across the world. You can start in your backyard. You, you can go to your neighbor, you can go to your town and begin to live and proclaim the wonders of that mission, that message, which is Jesus. That is an incredible opportunity that we have. Man, I love the fact that we are right smack dab in the middle of biblical history. And we're gonna talk about the coming of the king next time, but we are we are still in the middle of this thing being unfolded. We are still right in the middle of the king's mission and we're getting down to the wire. Would you go and live the reality of the cross and the gospel to your world? Let's just not esteem it. Let's just not nod our heads along in church. Let us live and proclaim the King himself. Daily Thunder is a listener supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this.